it just touched me because it was my story in reverse. I had been raised to believe that all Arabs hated me and all Muslims hated me because I was Jewish. Like when we hear the story of the other person and we really hear what they have been through, what they are thinking, we get closer to them. We see them as, wow, you just like me. My name is Linda Laurel, and I'm asking you to have the courage to listen with an open mind to all of our voices, because our voices matter. This episode is sponsored by BMW of West Houston. I don't know about you, but one of the things that I definitely did not miss during the pandemic was Houston traffic. Man, I really did not miss my commute. But I will tell you what I did miss. I missed getting behind the wheel of my BMW and driving. I love to drive and I especially love to drive my car. So this is probably the third or fourth BMW that I've had. It's an X3 and I've purchased all of them from BMW of West Houston. And that's not by mistake. This is a fantastic dealership. What I love about it is the fact that I feel like I've got relationships with the people who work there. I walk in, it feels like a family. What do you need, Linda? How can we help? If I can't make it out to take my car for service, they'll come get the car and then they'll bring it back to me when the service is completed. I have to say that I switched from a different brand to BMW several years ago and I'm never going back. And I'm especially never going to any other dealership. So just want to say, if you're in the market for a BMW, can't think of a better place to send you than BMW of West Houston. And I'm especially proud and honored that they are a sponsor of this podcast. So BMW of West Houston, welcome to the show. Hi, everybody. It's Linda Laurel, and this is Our Voices Matter podcast. When I started the podcast almost three years ago now, I was very clear on what I hoped to accomplish. I wanted desperately to share stories and have you, the viewer, the listener, find a glimpse of yourself in someone you might consider to be the other. I am a firm believer in the power of story. And I truly believe that if we would just take the time to listen with an open mind to someone else's story, that we will find some commonality we will find something that connects us as humans. And if we can start there, then we can move the conversation forward and maybe we can finally get to a place where we accept each other for who we are and we can stop demonizing one another. If ever there were a conversation that I could bring to you that embodies exactly this concept, it is the one you're about to hear. It is with my friend, Sarah Selber, and my new friend, Amr Awadala. Sarah is Jewish. Amr is Muslim. Sarah is managing partner of a consulting firm here in Houston called Quest Essential. Amr is a tech guru, and I won't tell you exactly who he is because we talk about it and it's an integral part of his story and this conversation. If you want to know how to talk to someone who disagrees with you, or someone who comes from a different walk of life than you, or someone who is a different race, or different ethnicity, or different faith, and you already have an idea of what that person is all about, I urge you, please take a moment to listen to or watch this interview and take away some of the nuggets and the gems that are shared by Sarah and Amr. Amr and Sarah, thank you both so much for agreeing to chat with the Our Voices Matter podcast audience. I hope you're both doing well. It's been a rough week. Definitely. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you for having us. And, and, you know, um, the whole reason that this conversation came about is because you, Sarah, reached out to me and told me about this amazing um, new friend that you have 
as a result of being in a room on Clubhouse where you were listening to a perspective that you had not really heard before. So um, give us a brief snapshot of what was happening in that room and what you heard from Amr that made you reach out to him. So the room was Israelis and Palestinians dialoguing and the ground rules were you couldn't talk about really history or politics and all you could do was listen to personal stories. And if you came up on stage, you could tell your personal story. And um, uh, it went on for two weeks, 24 hours a day. And I happened in when Amr was telling his story. Um, and um, yeah, it just it just touched me because it was my story in reverse. And um, I, 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 I knew exactly how he felt um, as he was speaking because I had been raised to believe that all Arabs hated me and all Muslims hated me because I was Jewish. And the history that I had been taught about the formation of Israel, um, it left out some pretty significant parts. And so as I was listening to Palestinians and Israelis talk, I realized that we're the same. Um, and, and we're both feeling pain. And Amr was so clear in his words that I just, I was weeping when he was talking. Amr, what were you saying that do you think resonated with Sarah? I think it's what she shared right now, which is the common, uh, like we're two faces of the same coin. As we grew up, we were told things that uh, were one side of the story. And that one side of the story was shifted in a way to paint all of the other side under the same lens. And that's what our parents were telling us. That's what our schools were teaching us history-wise. Uh, that's what the movies we would see or the shows we would see on TV would say. So that's the only version we were seeing. And then uh, luckily now in the new day and age that we are in, we, we get to see a lot more of the truth, right? Because we have all of the social media, we have uh, the open internet where you can go and seek the right answers for yourself. And uh, I was sharing my story of how, as I came to the US, I'm from Egypt originally. And as I came to the US in 1995, very quickly, as I start seeing the other side of the narrative, uh, my whole world turned upside down. I was like, wow, all of the stuff that my parents were telling me actually is not entirely true. <laughs> that was just one version. And, uh, and, and I very quickly came to the realization that all of us, as we mature, as we grow, uh, we have to re-examine all of these beliefs, right? We shouldn't just take them as given uh, for the rest of our lives. Uh, we love our parents. We love everything they tell us, but we should still <laughs> think about the, what they tell us. We shouldn't just accept it as fact. And uh, yeah, that was kind of uh, the story I shared uh, during the clubhouse. And the clubhouse was truly a, a quite a, an experience to hear all of these other stories from many others who are living in the conflict. And uh, seeing it day in and day out, and yet wanting to change things. Mm. It was very inspiring. What did you learn from that experience of being in the room with so many people from around the world who, as you and Sarah have both just described, are you know two sides of the same coin? Yeah. Um, what did you take away from those conversations that you were participating in and as you were listening to, what did you take away from that that you think is important for people to understand? One of the very uh, key lessons I learned, and I'm, I would like to hear what Sarah uh, would like to share as well, but from my perspective was the power of story. Like, I think one of the things that truly gets us to see each other as we are one, we are the same, we are all humans, we are not like this side or that side, this country, that country, this religion, that religion, this race, that race, this gender, that gender. It's story. Like when we hear the story of the other person and we really hear what they have been through, what they are thinking, we get closer to them. We see them as, wow, you just like me. <laughs> and so that was the key realization is the power of story and how, and that's actually what inspired me later on to actually publish my version of my story on, on YouTube and LinkedIn. Uh, and we can discuss that oh, briefly well, later, but, but yeah, that was, yeah. that was the, that was really the key. One of the very key learnings is 
more of us should be telling our story out there so that we can connect with each other and start seeing each other as the same. What about you, Sarah? What was your takeaway? Um, I, I, I agree with Amr. Uh, I've, I've, the other part of it was um, how willing people are to accept a reach out. Um, I've met a lot of people through this that are now on the ground, um, actually doing these very small one-on-one fundraisers um, in Palestine or helping doing rescue work in, you know, on the down low of what Israel is doing that is good. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I admit it, I stalked Amr. <laughs> I begged him to Zoom with me. Um, because his background was so fascinating and, you know, he was just so gracious and kind and, and, uh, you know, his heart had just, and I, I think Amr is the majority. I think I'm the majority of, of, of people who believe it's enough. It's just enough. We need to start talking with each other, not at each other. Yes. Yeah. Very well said, Sarah, actually. Very well said. Yes. Extremely well said, but I have to also say that this reaching out to each other that you have both engaged in has not come without cost. Mm-hmm. There has been a cost to this. And Sarah, I'm going to start with you to share with people what some of the reaction has been that has not been positive. Yeah. So a few years ago, I, I noticed in social media group called the Sisterhood of Solemn Shalom, um, I stalked <laughs> the founders and we brought that to Houston. And it was a group of Muslim and Jewish women who bravely agreed to meet and to form relationships and get to know each other. Um, it, it didn't, it didn't sit well in my community. I, I got labeled a, you know, self-hating Jew. Um, my position on maybe Israel's not a hundred percent right all of the time. I'm a self-hating Jew. Um, it's cost me some business, certainly in terms of clients that, um, I might've worked with or might not have. And, um, you know, the most stunning part was I went to a Hanukkah party in a park after we founded the sisterhood and someone Jewish walked up to me and said, oh, what are you doing here? And I said, well, it's Hanukkah and I'm on my bike and I stopped in the park. Oh, everyone thought that you have become a Muslim. Oh, my God. Wow. And I'm like, well, no, I, I don't think I did that. Let me explain to you what we're doing. The most fascinating part of that sisterhood was Hurricane Harvey and and the reality of all conflict, of war, of hurricanes, which we live through often, is that when you are needing to be rescued or you are the rescuer, no one says, oh, excuse me, who did you vote for? Or, or excuse me, who do you pray to? Or who, who did you sleep with or no, no none of that none happens. Of that mm-hmm. And 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 everyone comes together. Everybody yeah. comes yeah. together. Yeah. And during Harvey, the Sisterhood of Salem Shalom came together and built a healthcare clinic in an area of Houston that had absolutely no access to health care. Because there was a need and we understood. Mm-hmm. And that is what our faiths actually command us to do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so Amr, in your case, um what it costs you has been very public. Mm-hmm. Um, explain to our audience what happened and why you are no longer a VP at Google as you were just a few weeks ago. Yeah. My, my, I'll give the shorter version of my story here very quickly, but uh, the longer version is on YouTube. Uh, if people go there and search for my name, they can, they'll be able to find it. Mm-hmm. But uh, very briefly, inspired by inspired by the clubhouse that we... Uh, spent uh, a couple of weeks and and the power of story and how story can truly change people and uh, me seeing that and realizing that coupled with the fact that I am kind of a little bit well known in Egypt at least if not in the Middle East because of uh, because of being a successful entrepreneur uh, here in the US and also because of working at Google 
So I figured I would uh, share my story with the, with the goal of inspiring others to uh, seek maturity, to seek to mature themselves, to go back to this topic we discussed at the beginning of as babies, when we're born, we love everything, right? We, the, we, we don't uh, care about uh, your skin color. We don't care about your gender. We don't care about your religion. We don't even know what religion is when we're babies. We just love everything around us, right? And then as we grow, we, 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 we got nurtured uh, and we get taught some things here or there that uh, might uh, corrupt us a bit and get us to build certain prejudices uh, against a certain class of people here or there. And that was my story. That's kind of like what I was sharing is how when I was growing in Egypt, I was always being told that, hey, um, the Jewish people are coming here to take our land. They want to essentially uh, push all of us out of this land and take it over all the way from the Egyptian Nile on one side to the Euphrates River on the other side. And these were just stories we were told and, and, and we believed them as we were growing up. Not to mention that Egypt was in a, uh, a war with Israel at that time. That was back in 1970s when I was born. And uh, I wanted to share the story of when I came to the U.S. and how and when I started see seeing many Jewish people for the first time in my life, I started to very clearly see that it's wrong to generalize and paint a picture of an entire class of people just because of uh, actions of a few here or there. And then I got to meet, I mean, of course, now more, most recently, I got to meet Sarah and see how amazing Sarah is. But I got to meet many other uh, Jewish folks here in the U.S. that very quickly started shift, shifting my perspective. It was like, this is wrong. What I was taught to think, oh, all Jewish people act in this way. Absolutely, that's wrong. And, 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 I, and I can't to think this. I need to exactly. look at it in a different light. Exactly, exactly. I need to read more. I need to look at it in a different way. So I shared that story uh, on, uh, on LinkedIn in a very long essay. It's a 10,000 word essay. Uh, I also shared it on YouTube in, uh, in, in full length. And the story is called, the story is called We Are One. Uh, and the essence of it is that my, my maturity, but I also included some ideas there on how you seek that maturity and why we are one from many other perspectives, including the, the DNA perspective. At the end of the day, we all come from uh, 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 one Eve. There is one Eve that led to all of us. If you're, if you're religious, then it's that, that Eve that you hear about in religion. If you're not religious, then scientifically, actually, it's proven there is one Eve that existed in the middle of Africa uh, around 150,000 years ago that we all came from. So I, I painted all of these pictures and I, then I, I made some suggestions on how we can seek to resolve conflicts around the world, including the one in Israel, Palestine. And the way that you seek it is you get to the root of it. You have these conversations, you have to talk about it. You have to have the tough conversations. You have to have the hard conversations to try and see each other as human and reach a solution as opposed to avoiding the conversation completely which means that we'll stay in this cycle forever, which we're all fed up with, right? Especially after the most recent attacks where we saw a lot of children uh, die for no good reason whatsoever. And as we all know, these children are still building their understanding of the world. They're still building their framework of what's right and what's wrong. So we are not only are the children that are dying, uh, of course, we are very sad for them. The other ones seeing them dying, the other children, the millions of children around them that see them dying, they get traumatized even more. By, by seeing that. So I shared that story and, uh, and my intention was purely about setting myself as an example that we all, as we grow up, we should re-examine our um, teachings and expand our horizon of what works and what makes sense. Uh, and I knew that that would create some unrest or there will be some folks on the Palestinian side or on the Israeli side at, at, at the far, far ends that will not like what I'm saying, but they, they're just not going to like it as opposed to they would take action <laughs> from it. But what inspired uh, after that is, no, there are some folks that really didn't like what I said and they uh, lobbied uh, against me internally at Google, which eventually uh, got to be... be uh, led to me being fired from the company, unfortunately. Yeah. Led to you being fired. So you wrote an essay called We Are One that basically outlined how you went from believing what you had been taught to questioning that belief as you grew and matured and became a citizen of the real world and meeting people from all walks of life 
And I have read the essay and I have also watched it. And I've also, um, and I urge everybody who is listening or watching, listening to or watching this now to please read the essay, watch it on, on, on YouTube and, you know, draw your own conclusion. Mm -hmm. What I took from it was exactly what you said, that you're somebody who has reexamined his beliefs and has come to realize that a lot of what you were taught is, is not correct and that you are trying to learn and you are embracing those that at one time in your life you considered to be yeah. the other, right? And that's what I took away from it. Now, I don't work with you. I, I've never, you know, we're meeting really for the first time in the last couple of weeks, mm -hmm. thanks to Sarah's introduction. <laughs> um, but part of the blowback from those with whom you worked at Google was some internal stuff about just, you know, you as a manager and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I want to get your response to that, and then I'm going to bring Sarah back into the conversation. So what, what's your response to people who did not take what you were offering in the way that it was intended? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the common things that were repeated were, oh, we find it hard to work with Armour right now. Um, we feel unsafe working with him. Uh, we feel uncomfortable working with him. Um, because of him sharing that he had this vehemence and he had this prejudice inside of him. And uh, these, are, these are, are people of the Jewish faith who were saying yes. that they did not feel safe. Yes. And that they felt uncomfortable working with you after yes. you had revealed your previous yes. um, ideas yes. and beliefs. Okay, go ahead. Yes, yes. And I, a couple of them uh, were in my organization. So my organization is 500 people. So a couple of them uh, were in that organization as well. And my response to them consistently was the same, was number one, it was very, very hard for me and very uncomfortable for me to make this confession, right? That I had this disease and I had this prejudice inside of me. Like that was very hard. I mean, it's very hard for all of, any of us to go and admit something like that. So that's number one. Number two, this was 25 years ago. <laughs> I'm 50 years old today. Uh, I, I went through that maturity roughly between 20 to 25. So it took me about five years uh, as I learned and saw and changed my beliefs. So yeah, more than 25 years ago that I had this vehemence inside of me. And number three, I have never ever, and that's what I would tell them, Despite having this vehemence inside of me, I've never, ever acted on it in any way. It, it was just a prejudice inside of me that came to me because of my upbringing. But I always treated any human being I would meet with the utmost respect. And I challenge anybody to come and say, hey, Amr treated me disrespectfully. Uh, so, so please don't be <laughs> afraid of working with me. Uh, and please uh, take my message for what it means is you too should try and, and not associate on me, not project on me that I might still uh, be uh, trying to do something to you because of others that might still have that prejudice inside of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but still, uh, I would say these things and it, it just the message didn't go through. Just unfortunately. Didn't, didn't compute. So Sarah, when you heard what the blowback was and the ultimate um, realization that Amr was fired because of this essay that he had written, what was your reaction? Um, I'm a crier. <laughs> so the first thing I did was I had a good cry because it was just so unconscionable to me. Um, my second reaction was I was embarrassed as a Jew that, um, because it's, it's, it's antithetical to what we believe. Um, we, we are a people of learning and, and, and many books of learning. And, and our Old Testament is, you know, defined by hundreds of books that explain every word. And it all boils down to be kind. And there was nothing kind with how Amr was treated. And he was brave. That was very brave. It was very brave. It was, and so when brave people do brave and extraordinary things and share it, and they get 
beat down, it's painful because I can remember many times in my career when I had to be the voice for, you know, things that people couldn't understand. And my kids would have to hear about it and my family and it hurts. It, it's really painful. Um, yeah, it's it, and, and when it happened to Amr of all people after those two weeks of such a high in, in a room where things were finally like, yes, okay, let's do this. Let's go mm -hmm. out there and change the world by yeah. shifting our own internal. I mean, Linda, I told you that, look, I grew up in a household where my grandparents, you know, came here from Poland. My grandmother didn't really speak English. She spoke Yiddish. And, you know, I heard the word Schwatze at my dinner table often. I don't think there was malice behind it. It was the Yiddish word for a black person. And I don't ever remember it in the context of those Schwatze, you know, those bad people. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, the first time I went to Mexico City, I was blown away because my internal mindset around Mexico was those Mexicans <laughs> until my closest friend on the planet in school ended up being from Mexico City and my life and, and the enrichment that that brought to me. Huh? And then all those years working in the world of HIV and AIDS and, you know, with time, everyone knew someone. And so that journey around cultural and, um, in the, the introduction to different cultures mm -hmm. and, and types of people and, I, and I, I, people's individual stories yeah. and their stories and, and, and stepping into that pain mm -hmm. with them of how the external world is treating people. Yeah. You know, this, this just has to stop. It's not, it's not well, serving anyone well. You, you used the word brave, and it's so true. And, and Amr, you just said how difficult it was for you to mm -hmm. literally bear your soul mm -hmm. and talk about something from an intensely personal perspective mm -hmm. and put yourself in, in what you knew would be a negative light in the eyes of many. Mm -hmm that you would want at one time had, had believed this about an in, entire class of people. Mm -hmm. But what they didn't take away was the whole point of the, of the article, which is that once I got to know people who I once considered to be the other, I found how much we have in common, yeah. how much we want the same things. How how did this? I mean, how have you come out of this situation? I hasn't been that long since you were let go from one month. One month. It's been a month. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, how are you? And what happens next? Yeah, I mean, uh, my my initial reaction when it happened was disbelief. To be a little bit, to be honest, like it took me a week to believe that this was really happening. Uh, I also felt a little bit betrayed to be honest, betrayed, and I explain how. So one of the reasons why I came to the US from, from, uh, from Egypt, uh, besides, of course, seeking amazing education at Stanford University, that's, that's where I was accepted, was this belief go Cardinal, that, go Cardinal. I'm yes, sorry. go Cardinal, thank you. <laughs> Indeed. Okay. And, uh, but it was this belief also of freedom of speech, that one of the, the, the most, uh, sacred rules in the U.S. is as long as we are pre not preaching for hate or preaching for uh, for for harm or violence, that we can say whatever we would like to say and not fear repercussions of saying it. Right? Which, by the way, is not true in Egypt uh, up to today. And uh, to be punished for exercising my right for freedom of speech and especially freedom of speech towards uh, justice, equality. Uh, seeing uh, racial tolerance, seeing each other as one, was felt like a betrayal. And a betrayal in two ways. First, uh, I mean, the U.S. is supposed to be the land of the freedom of speech. But second, Google themselves, like Google and California is a very liberal state, and you know, but Google, they, they teach all of these amazing things around DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And they teach that we need to bring our true, authentic self to work. 
they teach that we need to have the tough conversations across dimensions of difference so we can reach uh, peaceful solutions and solutions to hard problems in general. So in, so in many ways, I'm like, I drank the Kool-Aid. I really believed all of that uh, talk. And then I, when I walked the walk, I got punished for it. And, and, and so my, my, the feeling I still have inside of me, I mean, of course, I'm very worried, sad about the loss of the income and my reputation also being damaged a bit in the, in the industry because of what happened. But the, the true thing that is paining me the most is that sense of betrayal. Like, I feel I got betrayed. Because as you said, you felt as though you were living the values that the company itself has put in writing to explain to its employees about how they want them to bring their entire selves to the workplace. And that is such a, a huge um, mantra nowadays, especially within the last year or two. Mm -hmm. um, about all these major corporations wanting employees to bring their authentic selves to work and to have the hard conversations and, you know, to make sure that, that you know, we're, we're being open and we're being honest. And yet when you do it, as you say, you're punished. Mm -hmm. So, um, and what do you want? What do you want to happen? What do, do, you, do you wish that you could go back to work at Google or are you done with that? Do you want to move on? And let, let's also remind our audience that before Google, you um, were the founder of um, Cloudera. Cloudera. Yes. Huge, huge company. Um, so, you know, you know your way around the tech world. <laughs> you, can, you can figure out whatever your next step is going to be. But what do you want to do? And how do you want to take this situation and what you've learned from it and roll that into the next big thing? Yeah, yeah, that's a very, very good question. Uh, I mean, to be honest, I mean, again, it has only been one month since I uh, since uh, this happened, and I'm still, as you know, uh, in conversations with them uh, on how to resolve. No, I wouldn't go work there again. Uh, 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 fool me once, uh, shame on me. Fool me twice. Sorry, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So, so I wouldn't put myself in that position. I already learned my lesson. Uh, most likely, I will be starting another company. Uh, that most likely is what I plan to do. But again, I don't want to rush into things. I want to take my time and, and figure out the right step. But uh, to focus on the bigger issue, what I would like to really see happen is a change in the narrative in the world around tough issues to have the psychological safety to have the tough conversations. It's yeah. important to have the tough conversations as opposed to avoid them because it's a fact. If you avoid them, you will not solve the problem. It, just, like, it doesn't take a genius to see through that. The only way to solve a problem is to respectfully have a dialogue around it and try to seek common ground as opposed to shut the conversation down. And uh, I feel right now that what happened to me shuts the conversation down. And unfortunately, it sets a precedent that affects Google overall. So I know many other Jewish colleagues at Google uh, that really want to speak up. Uh, same thing with uh, Arab colleagues, Muslim colleagues, and Palestinian colleagues that want to speak up for, 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 for the situation over there. And they saw what happened to me, and now all of them are scared of speaking up, right? And I would like to undo that. Like, how do you undo that? How do you go back and say, no, I mean, the same way, I'm very happy that, of course, over the last uh, two, uh, a couple of years, we're having this resurgence about the Black Lives Matter movement and being able to have the tough conversations. And in fact, within Google now, it's highly encouraged to have these listening circles around Black Lives Matter uh, issues so we can find and have very tough conversations, by the way, sometimes very painful, so we can find good solutions for these problems. And uh, I'm very happy about that. And I would like us to see, to do more of that around all of the hard problems that we have in our world, because that's the only way we'll be able to solve them, as so opposed to Sarah, avoid them. Yeah. Sarah, you, you certainly know your, your way around corporate America. I think you and I met back when you were with Dynagy, right? Back in the day. So you actually know. that when I was at AIDS Foundation Houston. Oh, AIDS Foundation Houston. That's right. You were you were you were on air and you we met as friends and, right. and you were brave. And that's well, when you were brave. Okay. <laughs> All right. Stop that. <laughs> it's true. And it's the truth. You were brave. You went that's on right. air and you talked about AIDS. And yeah, well, we couldn't do that. So but yes, then I was in corporate America. Yes. 
Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate that. So, but what I was what I was getting to is that because of your experience in corporate America, you kind of know the lay of the land. And when you hear uh, what Amr's experience has been in this most recent um, uh, experience with with Google, what what do you think? And how do how do you what do you think are the are the lessons that we can take away from this, and that corporate America needs to learn? to uh, literally learn how to walk the, walk the talk. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I have a love-hate relationship with DEI in general. Um, I have a real hate relationship with whoever, <laughs> it's not hate, but love-hate with whoever started this concept that we need to learn to tolerate each other. Um, I don't want to be tolerated. I want to be respected as a fellow human. Mm-hmm. And so what I saw and what I even see today in this diversity world um, and equity is that there's really no inclusion. That what we're doing is, is we're dividing into silos by labels. Mm. And so those become affinity groups and those affinity groups kind of fight each other for the microphone, if you will, or the budget or whatever it might be. And the reality is um, we're not having the real tough personal conversations around our own lives. Mm-hmm. And we recently did a training with a group of executives. And I started the, tra- the, the, the topic with who here has, cares for, or knows somebody with a special need based on the ADA? And everyone in the room raised their hand. And we started talking about what was happening with our mental health and our physical health and, you know, access to health care and trying to find services for my child who's autistic or and everyone in the room, regardless of color, everyone was in this unattainable situation of trying to figure out how to take care of someone other than even themselves. Mm -hmm. And so we quickly forgot about diversity and we started building inclusion opportunities and teams of inclusion operators, if you will, Mm -hmm. and partnering with the community to bring all of those funded organizations into corporate America so that they could really provide their services to the employees who had no idea where to find services. So I, I think we have to really step it all back a little bit and talk about inclusion. And we need to go back to the reality that everyone has, cares for, knows someone, or with time, will have a special need. And now with AI and with apps, I mean, <laughs> good news, you know, everybody's skills, talents, and abilities can be utilized uh-huh. in a different format. But you're right. People who were on the spectrum so during COVID were thrilled. Yeah. I mean, in terms of they could do this, and I'm going to demonstrate. And they were great because now they are talking to you and they're a part of all of this without mm-hmm. the anxiety of seeing people and the reaction. Mm-hmm. So I I'm an optimist by nature. (laughs) I believe that if you reach out and you really share personally what's going on in your life and you don't shy away from, you know, the fact that, hey, you know, I'm hurting. I lost my dad in April. I'm still struggling from that journey. Um, Everyone's got something. Everyone. And and that's that should be our starting point. Yeah. I could not agree with you more. So, Amr. As you move forward to whatever is next for you, I can't wait to see what that is, by the way. Um, What do you want to take away from this entire experience, starting with the clubhouse room and that remarkable two weeks when you were just being you and sharing your story and all of a sudden you have a new friend in Sarah and now you have a new friend in me. Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) What? What's the message? What is the overarching message, do you think? Yeah, I think uh, it will go back to where we started this whole conversation, which is the power of story is, again, what shook us in that room 
And uh, credit to the moderators that created that room, the clubhouse that we were in, the, the, where we met me and Sara, was the, the power of the stories. And like the, the, the moderator said, we really want this room to be about the stories, not about history, not about something you read in the news, not about a story of you heard the fourth hand from somebody else. No, we want to hear your experiences. And that's what makes us see each other as human. And, and there were so many examples in these two weeks. I'll share one briefly right now that uh, brought me to tears, and I'm sure it brought many of us to tears on, 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 in that clubhouse. It was a woman, she was sharing her experience trying to cross into the border, into, uh, uh, I can't remember if it was Gaza or, or the West Bank, but one of the areas where she wanted to visit the house of her parents, and she was pregnant, in eight months pregnant, and the border control didn't treat her very well for somebody who was eight months pregnant. And in fact, was I don't want to share the exact details, it was really a very sad story. And then immediately after that story, like within 30 minutes or something, there was a gentleman who was a, a, a major or a general in the IDF that was on the, on, in the clubhouse apologizing to her and saying, telling her, I'm really sorry. He, he, he almost was crying on the call and saying, I'm very sorry. He said, I was driving my car. I had to park on the side just to call in and say, I'm really sorry this happened to you. We, we were not raised up. We, we are here to defend the country and not to do this. And this was wrong. So, so when you hear that and you see the stories from both perspectives and how there's so many, most of us really, really want this to be a good thing. They, they want us to treat, treat, uh, they just want safety and treat each other with respect. It just brings us back to our roots. So uh, that's, the, that's the key message is let's tell more stories. Let's keep sharing these stories. And you know, Linda, I just want to add that Please. One, one of the things that just really touched me, it, I think culturally, we have done such a disservice to men. We, 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 have, we have stripped them of their ability to um, publicly uh, be vulnerable and share these stories and cry and, and feel and emote. Um, and that room was full of men who were doing all of it. They were emoting. They, 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 it was as if they had just stuffed it all way down. I mean, I was in the room when this particular situation happened, and I'm pretty sure the soldier was in tears, and 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 it was painful. It was, and it was raw, and it was real. And you know, it is okay for men to operate from a space of love. It's okay, and and men are. I mean, brave men like Amr are going to make this happen. That's how it's going to happen because culturally, it's not cool what he did. <laughs> that that's not cool. That's not a really culturally cool thing um, for Middle Eastern men to be, you know, weak or it's not cool in this country. And in corporate America, that's what I saw. I saw men who I know they hurt. I know they were in pain, uh, and and man, they were the biggest bullies and angry and 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 i i was always sad i was all i always left the office feeling sad as opposed to being in you know a softer environment of aids foundation houston where if you didn't cry in the course of a day because of what walked through those doors leave the office you don't belong here mm-hmm. you just don't belong in this space because this is hard this is painful people are dying and the world is against us so that's I think more than anything, as a woman, Amr sort of gave permission, if you will, as did the men in that clubhouse space, for us to tell those personal gut-wrenching stories. Now, thank you for saying that, Sarah. Actually, I'll, I'll reciprocate and say no. We, I think there's future because of women like you, not men like me. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's why we need to see more women leaders in the world, to be honest, because the, 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 the women have that empathy that, uh, again, it, it's prejudiced to say women have more empathy than men, but I think it's true. Right? Like, women do have more empathy than men. And that's why we need more of that. In the, I think the world will be a better place if we have more women leadership across. across. And, and I think, you know, I think I'm going to bring that full circle because I think what Sarah was, was saying that perhaps it is that women have more empathy than men because we are allowed to show it that's a good point. without being 
judged, chastised for it or punished for it. Um, But for men, it's 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 not quite the same. Sarah, what were you going to say? Well, we are punished and we're not taken seriously. Um, okay. We're too emotional, way. right? We are too yeah, emotional. I get, it. I get it. You're right. You're absolutely so it, right. It, it is. And, yeah. and I think that that's at the epicenter of this conversation, that okay. it's time for us to let go of all of what is okay in the workplace. You know what? You know what? You know, I'm a huge Brene Brown fan. Okay. And, and, and you, of course, you know, you know, Brene as well. We're fortunate in Houston to have her here with us. But Brene calls that armoring up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we are all armored up and we have to be able to shed that armor mm-hmm. before we can get to the work of connecting on a human level. Yeah. We're, you know, we're, we've been taught, don't do this. That person is bad. This person is good. Oh, no, we can't be this way. I mean, yeah. the armor, it just goes up and up and up and up. And at some point... We've got to find a way to bring it down or we're just not going to survive as a species. Yes. Yes. It's, it's, and it just feels as though we're in this, this spiral right now where at least we're able to have these kinds of conversations and the technology has allowed us to be able to, to do this mm-hmm. uh, in rooms like Clubhouse, you know, on, on Zoom calls like this one. Um, so for that, I'm I'm very thankful, and and I too am hopeful, and I'm going to remain an eternal optimist. Um, I just want to ask if there's anything that either one of you would like to say that I haven't given you a chance to say that you think our audience really needs to hear. <laughs> Sarah, you want to go first? <laughs> you know, I you're right, Linda. It's been a really rough week with yeah. what's happened in Afghanistan, and. Um, I was thinking back to when it was um, Reagan and 300 and some odd, you know, Marines died under his watch and the country pulled together. And, you know, we lost 13 people who were standing in a very crowded space, patting people down one by one by one by one. And, you know, we should be so pulled together and praying for these families that lost their loved ones who were trying to help get people out of a war-torn situation. And we've got all these armchair coaches and all these pundits and everybody knows all the answers. And I'll be damned if any of them are on those front lines with those soldiers patting people down to try to get people into an airplane to something safe. I come from, you know, people who had to leave Poland and I come from families that were killed in the Holocaust and it's got to stop. It's enough. It's just enough. We've got to figure out again how to be kind. If we could just every day wake up and somehow, you know, everyone be kind. <laughs> I'm hurting. Um, it, it's, it's why I reached out to Amr because I, I, it just it broke my heart what he what he was going through, and I thought I'm going to reach out to him and just I'm here. I'm a friend. I don't know you, but wow, I want to help because I've been in those shoes. And so that that's it for me. Just be kind and take people far more seriously who are willing to cry. Thank you, thank you, thank you for reaching out and paying it forward, Sarah. Uh, <laughs> and yes, we all should be doing that. We should be paying it forward and. I, I, you reaching out helped a lot. I'll, 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 uh, I'll share that with you. Um, I needed that. And uh, so thank you for that. Uh, I will reiterate the same message that you said. It's like, yeah, that's really what we need to focus on is, which is the essence of my essay as well, is we, we are really, we, we, we are one. We advance so much as a civilization. We have two robots flying on Mars right now. Like literally, we have robots on Mars right now Yet, we on our planet cannot figure out how to see each other as one and how to be nice to each other. And that's what we need to focus on. So that's my wish for the world is we, we really just like have this, I don't want to say we become blind, but, but really just see each other as we're the same and, and stop creating these artificial notions of religion, nations, identity, like, like be proud of it. I'm not saying sometimes people hear me say that and say, oh, you mean I cannot be proud of being a Muslim? I cannot be proud of being a Jew? No, be very proud, but never let that pride uh, affect 
what you think of somebody else. That, and uh, unfortunately, it's very hard, but that's what we need to do. Yeah. Be, be proud and respect that someone else is also proud. Yeah. That's what and, it boils down to. And Linda, thank you for starting this podcast that you've done because, uh, I mean, I've listened to every single podcast and I'm uplifted by every single human that you bring their story to the marketplace. It, it, it really does make a difference. And I, I, I listened to, I binge listened <laughs> on my drive this summer with three other people. And um, you're, you're, you're a beautiful light in a very sometimes dark space. So thank you. I second that. Thank you. Yes. Thank you both so much. And if, uh, if anyone believes in the power of story, it is I, I truly believe in it. And that's, that's what this podcast is founded on. It's all about sharing people's stories in hopes that you might see a glimpse of yourself in someone that you consider to be the other and that you too embody exactly that exactly that. And that's why I was so excited and honored to have you here. So thank you both for being brave and sharing your stories and doing all the incredible work that you do in the community and, and just being wonderful, wonderful humans. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's our honor. Thank you very much. Definitely an honor. (laughs) Thanks, Linda. I feel enormously blessed to be able to bring you conversations like the one that I just had with Sarah and Amr. I really do believe that these kinds of conversations, not being afraid to take off our armor and be brave and share, having those kinds of conversations and sharing our real stories is what will ultimately bring us together as humans. As Sarah says, enough, enough already with the division and the anger and the hate. It's time for us to come together one story at a time. Thank you so much for being a part of the Our Voices Matter podcast audience. Thank you for giving Sarah and Amr permission to speak. And thank you for having the courage to listen with an open mind. We'll see you next time. Thanks again to our sponsor, BMW of West Houston. There's a special offer for members of the Our Voices Matter podcast community. Just click the link in the show notes, bmwwest.com.